All right. Well, good morning again, church. So glad that you're with us. If you would take your Bibles and turn with us to a very familiar verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. You know, I've heard uh, recently uh, more and more uh, pastors and religious leaders and uh, just speaking of this, this whole pandemic thing, the COVID-19 and everything that we're in, and how, you know, it is very possible we know that God is in total control. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God knows about this. This did not catch God by surprise. But it's very possible that not only was this allowed by God, but possibly appointed by God in order to get the attention of his creation, in order to get the attention of humanity, in order to get man's attention and, and, and thoughts back on him. And I've heard recently that um, there have been a lot of statistics thrown out recently concerning the uh, the online usage when it comes to uh, searches for Bible verses and for verses of encouragement and, and whatever the Bible has to say in the book of Psalms concerning things like this. It's been three, four, five hundred percent increases in uh, the giving or the searching of these, these particular passages. I've heard of uh, p- uh, pastors in their churches have talked about, you know, they may have uh, a thousand members, but uh, since they've gone online, that, that viewership has gone from 1,000 to 5,000 and 6,000. I was listening to a pastor the other day who uh, has a membership of 15,000 in his church. I'm like, wow, what a huge church. And, uh, and then he said once they went online, that their viewership had increased to between 180 and 190,000 people. And I was like, man, that is incredible. And, and people's eyes are definitely being turned towards the Lord in the midst of all this. And that, that, th- these are the types of things that happen in, in history. We just need to trust God. We need to believe that he knows what he's doing, and we do. We trust him and uh, trust him to get us through this, not just while we're in the midst of it, but on the other side of it as well, and that we would be changed because of it. You watch that video. Uh, a few moments ago, the power is in your hands. Well, the power of what? The power of prayer. Calling out to God. Asking God to do something crazy. Asking God to do something dramatic. Asking God to do something miraculous and wonderful that is only he could do. That's what's going to turn this nation and this world around. It's going to turn it, turn it back to him as God doing that. And, and it's a matter of us giving ourselves over to him so that he can do that. Uh, every year, I try to go watch live an Auburn Tiger football game. I'm an Auburn Tiger fan, and, and every year we usually, as a family or members of my family, sometimes the whole family, we try to go to a ball game. And uh, this past year was no different. We went this past year, but I made a mistake. I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to buy tickets that are kind of lower-level tickets. Normally I'm in the nosebleeds, and it's kind of, it's a long walk up there. You know, I don't have elevators per se, and, and save those for the folks who really need them. So it's a long walk up there. So I wanted something about field level. So we got up about, I don't know, eight, nine, ten rows, something like that. But something I noticed, even though I was closer to the field of play, I really didn't enjoy the game as much because I found that there were a lot of obstacles that were blocking my vantage point. I, I couldn't see really what was taking place. Oh, I saw people moving and bodies going, but I couldn't really see, look down onto what was taking place and seeing formations and seeing uh, plays unfold as they did because there were a lot of obstacles. There were 
well, I don't know, 70 or 80 players that were in my way. I couldn't, it was kind of hard to see over them. Uh, there were uh, coaches and trainers and assistant coaches, and you got the big boom thing that has the big TV cameras on it, you know, and you got the coolers and you got the big tent where they'll work on the, the medical issues that the players might have and so on. There were just so many obstacles, and I found myself, instead of watching most of the game right here, I kept looking up and to the right. And the reason was because at the stadium there, they have one of the largest jumbotrons in the country. And I found myself looking up and over to that thing to watch the game more than I was watching it right here because I was so uh, close to field level. And you know, when it comes to living for God, I think a lot of times we as believers, we, we kind of see the landscape and we want to engage the landscape but I think that there are a lot of obstacles in the way. And the way to get out of that and understand what God would have us to do is by looking up to him, looking to him, and finding out, God, what are those obstacles? What are those things? What are those things that are getting in the way that really that, that are, are, are hurting me and, and causing me not to be able to, to engage you in serving you? In our passage today, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, let me kind of lay the groundwork of the context for you. Solomon has just built the temple. All the instruments, all the tools, all, all the furnishings that go with that, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, has just been brought in. And the Levites and the priests, they were about to have a dedication concert. Man, what a concert it must have been. They brought up their percussion instruments, their cymbals, their stringed instruments. Scripture even says that there were 120 trumpets. Think about that. 120 trumpets along with all these other instruments. That must have been a crazy, crazy scene. And whenever they started playing, all the, the, the Levites and the priests began to sing to the Lord. The Bible says that they sang in unison. They sang together the glory of God. And what happened was uh, immediately following that, the glory the cloud of God descended upon that temple and filled the place. And then it says later that the fire from heaven came down and God's glory filled that place so much so that the priests and the Levites could not even go in because of the presence of God, they would surely die, right? Well, this is kind of odd because the verse that we're going to look at here today is in the midst of that. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What? Wait a minute. What happened? I mean, they just had this huge concert dedicating the temple of God to the Lord. Solomon has just accomplished something very great and and all of a sudden God says wait a minute and my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land what what happened well if you look back a page take your Bible turn back one page to chapter number six verse 22 Solomon in chapter six verse 22 uh beginning of verse number 12 actually he begins to say a prayer of dedication all right and in verse number 22, Solomon is praying, and he says this. He's speaking to God, and he says, If anyone sins against his neighbor, basically he's saying, God, if somebody sins against his neighbor, we ought to do this. Verse 24, Or if, or if your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, 
God, God, what do we do? What do we do, God, if that happens? Verse 26, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain, there's a drought, because they have sinned against you. God, what do we do? What if that happens, God? Verse 28, when there is famine in the land, pestilence and a blight uh, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague and whatever sickness, COVID-19, there is. God, what do we do if these things happen? Verse number 36, when they sin against you, for there is none who does not sin. Solomon here is praying and 2 Chronicles 7.14 is actually a response to Solomon's prayer. God says, you know what? If these things happen, if there is egregious sin, if there's unconfessed sin, if, if the people are not following me anymore, if there's pestilence, if there's sickness, if there's famine, if there's no rain, if there's drought, if there's all these things, my answer is 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is what you need to be doing. This is what you need to do as a people. So he answers Solomon's prayer. Now, it's important to understand that in the context, this verse is specific to God's covenant people, Israel. However, I believe that we could take the principle from this verse and plug that into our lives because I think you would agree with me, America is way off. We're way off spiritually. We claim to be one nation under God. We say in God we trust. Yet, our nation is far away from the Lord. We have called evil good and good evil. We have allowed sin, and the church, the church is not doing well at all when it comes to the, uh, uh, the holiness factor, when it comes to uh, churches, more churches are closing than what they're opening. So, so then what do we do? What do we do? It doesn't, doesn't look good. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some churches, some ministries that are doing absolutely wonderfully. They're doing a great work. But many are not. Many believers are just kind of stuck in a, a go to work, get your paycheck, and come home and, and be with your family and go to church on Sunday mode, and that's pretty much the extent of it. So then what do we do? In this verse right here, I want to share with you three calls that God makes, three calls for each of us to follow and, and, and then what this prescription actually involves. Number one is this. The call to personal responsibility. The call to personal responsibility. If my people who are called by my name. Who's he talking to? He's talking to God's people. He's saying if my people who are called by my name will step in. They'll take responsibility for their own condition. If Israel will step in, Solomon, if these things happen that you just asked me about, if my people will step in and be responsible for their spiritual condition, be responsible for their worship, be responsible for their relationship with me. Responsibility. Boy, that's something that's really missing in today's world, isn't it? Everybody wants to pass the buck, and it's, it's, never, it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. One of my favorite movies uh, is Remember the Titans. I know some of you have probably seen that before. I enjoy football movies. Movies normally comes on around uh, August or September or so, about time for high school and college football season. But one scene in that movie is the running back. His name is Petey. And Petey's uh, given the ball, and he's running around the end, and then all of a sudden a tackler just lights him up. Man, just hits him real hard. The ball falls out. It's rolling on the ground. And uh, Coach Boone, Coach Boone blows the whistle. Stop it, stop it. Petey. Why are you fumbling my ball? And Petey just kind of looks at the coach. He's like, uh, well, uh, uh, Petey, why are you fumbling my ball? And Petey says, uh, uh, well, well, my blockers 
And, and then the Coach Boone just lights him up. Your blockers, your blockers, your blockers got nothing to do with you holding on to the ball. Boy, take this ball, get out of here, go run a mile, you know. And Peter didn't want to take responsibility. God's telling Solomon here, if you get yourself in this situation where, where there's sickness and pestilence and there's sin in the land and, and there's, there's drought and there's no rain, there's no food, there's famine, and all, you, get to, you know what? People need to start being responsible for who they are. They need to be responsible for their spiritual welfare. Today, instead of doing that, we don't, we don't like taking responsibility, do we? We don't like taking responsibility, and I'm sure the people back then didn't want to either. Sometimes, instead of taking res personal responsibility, we ignore it. Ah, it'll go away. Give it time. It'll fade away. People will forget, forget about it. Maybe they'll, it'll work out on its own. So they ignore it instead of taking personal responsibility. Some folks maybe back then rationalized it. They rationalized their sin. They rationalized their situation. Well, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a little sin. And, uh, you know what? It, 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 nobody's even thinking about it. Nobody's even talking about it. And, and you know what? I'm not hurting anybody. I mean, after all, if it's not hurting anybody, it's got to be okay. And, and you know what? You know what you guys are saying? It's really kind of old-fashioned. I mean, we've evolved here, you know? I realize here in Solomon's time that that uh, we, you know, our King Solomon is leading us and all, but that stuff was written back when Moses was on the earth and the Ten Commandments and all, that's old stuff. That stuff's obsolete. It's old-fashioned. It's no longer useful today. And, and boy, do we hear that today, don't we? And they rationalize their sin away. Some folks just deny it flat out. I didn't do that. It wasn't me, you know? Uh, having our, our Christian school here, uh, sometimes our our staff and faculty will have to meet with a parent, uh, or sometimes our principal will have to sit down. Sometimes I'm, I'm involved in that meeting, and uh, we will have witness after witness after witness, and the teacher saw it, would see a child do something, bold-faced, bold you see him do it. There's no doubt about it. We could have them on camera, and there would be some people that say, my child didn't do that. My child, wow, they're living in a state of denial, you know? And uh, sometimes we do that, you know? We just, we want to deny it because we want it to go away. Sometimes we just shift the blame, right? We want to blame other people. We want to uh, blame other uh, people for their, what they said, what they did. Maybe we don't like them. Maybe we just kind of throw somebody else under the bus. Uh, you know, that started all back in the garden. Remember that? When Adam and Eve sinned and God came looking for them. And God asked Adam, why were you hiding? Why did you cover yourself? And he said, because we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we saw ourselves naked, so we covered ourselves up. And what did God asked him, why did you do this? And he began to blame Eve. He said, God... The woman you gave me. Actually, not only did he blame Eve, he blamed God. God, the woman you gave me. And then God says, Eve, what about this? And Eve says, well, God, the serpent. So Eve blames the serpent. God, the serpent you created. So here's Eve blaming God and blaming the serpent. Why? Because we like to shift the blame. Personal responsibility is what God is telling Solomon here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, we see pictures of this throughout Scripture. In the book of Judges, we see people like Ehud, Shamgar, Samson, the great judge Deborah, Gideon. You know, we see these people who see the nation of Israel in a bad way, and they decide, you know what, I'm going to take care of this. God calls them to a task, and they accomplish that task for the kingdom of God. We see that in many of the kings in the nation of Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, had a lot of bad, all bad kings. The southern kingdom, they had a mix of good and bad. But some of those good kings like Asa, Jehoshaphat, King Uzziah, King Hezekiah, King Josiah, these kings came in and 
rectified what had happened from the previous king and set new things in order in the kingdom to bring glory to God. What did they do? They took it upon themselves. They took personal responsibility to make things right. King Jesus took responsibility. He left heaven, came down to this earth, and he took it upon himself to die for sinful man and raised from the dead three days later. No one else could do that, only the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the sinless Son of God. He took the call to personal responsibility seriously. And we must do that as well, church. You know, you think, well, uh, churches aren't doing well and I'm not doing well, then you need to take it upon yourself. If God's people, listen, if, if your spiritual walk or the, the, the church that you attend from whatever all over the country, uh, you folks are viewing, uh, wherever you are, you need to understand something. The problems that are experienced in the church and the problems that are experienced in our own personal uh, spiritual walk are not of the doing of the pagan world, the unbelieving world. They're of our own doing. We need to take personal responsibility and get re-engaged to the great command, the great commission, re-engaged to prayer and take personal responsibility and do what we know that God has called us to do. We've got to own the situation. Got to own the situation and do something about it. We've got to get back to where God wants us to be. The first call was a call to personal responsibility when it comes to Solomon, and I believe it could apply to the church today. The second call is this, the call to palpable accountability. The call to palpable accountability. In other words, something that's tangible. It's not just being responsible, but it's something that's tangible, something that's got teeth to it. It's got meat on the bones. There's specifics there, and that's what God does here. He gets specific in telling Solomon, my people need to take personal responsibility, and this is how they do it. Look at your Bibles. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, those four things, God gives Solomon four ingredients to the recipe of repentance. That's what these four things are all about. They're all about repentance. If the people of God find themselves in sin, they need to repent and get right with God. Let's look at these four different things. We'll humble themselves. Humility. Humility is simply the absence of pride. You know, we, we're, we're pretty proud people, aren't we? I know I am. Pride is one of the things I'm always struggling with. Every day I struggle with my own personal pride. But to be humble, to be filled with humility, means I'm going to be totally dependent on someone else. I'll be totally dependent on God. You know, this whole COVID-19 thing, it's made us totally dependent on, on God, I hope. But for many people, they're just dependent on the scientists. And the scientists aren't sure what to do. I mean, they're figuring things out, and they're doing this test and that test and hundreds and hundreds of tests, and thousands of tests, actually, trying to figure things out and come up with a vaccine and with a treatment and uh, uh, all kinds of antibodies and all different kinds of things that they're working through, but they're not sure. Now, we know God knows the answer to that, but in the midst of all that, we have to become dependent on God. He's the one with the answers. I loved C.S. Lewis, his definition for humility. This is what he said. Let's think about this now. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Let's stop right there for a moment. 
Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. A lot of people associate humility with meekness. And they say that meekness is weakness. Well, I'm just going to be weak. I hope nobody steps on me. I hope no, no, that's not, no, no. Meekness is not weak. Meekness is strength. Humility is strength. Listen to the rest of the definition. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. In other words, our focus is more on others. You know, do you practice humility? Do I practice humility? That's what God says to do here. Humility is bowing before God. I mean, literally, on our knees, even flat on our face before God. In fact, in the, whenever they uh, brought, uh, the, when the fire came down from heaven and God's glory filled the temple, you know what the priest did? <laughs> flat on their face before God. They were in full-blown humility. Literally, on their knees, in humble submission, putting others, others before yourself. Not, not just when it comes to family, but anyone. Putting anyone and everyone before yourself. Having a, a consistent time of repentance. A constant repetition of repentance throughout your day. And asking God, keeping that, that sin slate clean. It's not just a time, dear God, forgive me everything I'm going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. No, 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 no. Man, name sin. Call it out. But that constant and consistent time of repentance, being able to evaluate your response whenever you're wronged, whenever you're slighted, whenever you're unappreciated, whenever someone says something about you, how do you respond to that? That tells whether you're humble or not. Well, I got, I got problems there because, uh, boy, sometimes I just, I just get upset and, and it's, it's not a good thing. But we all, you know, we, we struggle with those kinds of things. But evaluate your response when you're wrong, slighted, or unappreciated. And, and, and on the flip side of that, glad to receive any time you get some rebuke, you know. So, sometimes people, God puts people in our lives to gently rebuke us or to say, hey, you could do this better. Or I want to talk to you about something. How do you receive that? Do you receive that gladly? Gladly receive the, the uncomfortableness that God gives us COVID-19. We're uncomfortable right now, aren't we? Are we going to fuss about that and fight about that? Or are we going to say, God, I humble myself in the midst of this and ask you to help me through it. You see, all these things, they're foreign to us. We don't like doing these things. But this is what God says, humble yourselves. Secondly, we'll humble themselves and pray. Pray. And you say, well, that's just, oh, okay, yeah, but the problem is for a lot of us, our prayer life is consistent of uh, good bread, good meat, good Lord, let's eat, you know, and amen, and then that's the, you know, that's the end of our prayer life. But that's not what God's talking about here. He's talking about, man, getting hold of the throne of God. He's talking about crying out to God. He's talking about calling out to God. He's talking about being quiet before God. Being still before God whether it's standing or kneeling or laying flat, whether it's hands clasped or it's hands raised, we're calling out to God. Whether it's a shout, whether it's just a quiet voice or even silence, eyes opened, eyes closed, hands closed, hands open, whatever the case may be, but pray and call out to the Lord praying for lost souls, praying for God to send a, a movement of God, a movement of heaven throughout the churches of this country, 
that God would fill our pastors and our church leaders and our missionaries with the fire of the Holy Spirit of God, that people might be saved, that God would send lost souls to our churches, calling out to God in prayer and asking Him to save the lost and begging Him for a movement of the Spirit of God. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I'll tell you what, I want God to do some great things that I don't know about. What's the caveat? Calling out to him, praying to him. Humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face. Spend time with God. Spend time with God. It's not just about prayer, but it's about seeking God. Seeking after him clawing your way to get to him james says when we uh draw near to god that he'll draw near to us psalm 105 verse number four says seek the lord and his strength seek his face forevermore you know there there are three basic ways we can seek god one is through the word of god getting into the word of god you get to find out what god is like his traits his character what, what he does and why he does it sometimes. Sometimes we don't know why he does it. He just does it to bring glory to himself. But nonetheless, we learn what his holiness is like. We learn what his love and his grace and his mercy is like. Where do we find all that? In the, in the word of God. That's one way you can seek God. You seek God through the word of God. You seek God through prayer. Again, just, just calling out to the Lord. And you learn. You learn when, it, when you pray, you learn how to be quiet before the Lord. You, need, you learn to talk softly before the Lord. You learn sometimes just to, just to be still before God. And you begin to understand what's on his heart because he wants to give you the desires of your heart, but I want my desires uh, to be his desires. And that's how we accomplish that through that quiet time, that prayer time where we communicate with God. And we also uh, seek his face through worship, through worship. Sometimes when we pray, we just need to worship the Lord. We don't need to be asking for stuff. We're, 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 we're a bunch of gimmies, aren't we? We like gimme, 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 right? <laughs> I know I'm that way. Ever just stop and talk to the Lord and just worship him? You can just speak to the Lord and just say, God, you are awesome. You're majestic. You're beautiful. God, you're loving. You're patient. You're kind. You're the great I am. You're the beginning, God. You're the end. You're my healer. You're my sanctifier. You're my savior. God, you are, and just, and just go on and on and on and worship God in all his glory and all his majesty. God tells Solomon, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, and finally, fourthly, turn from your wicked ways. Boy, here's the one we don't want to get to, right? This is the one we don't want to talk about. Turn from your wicked ways. What is that? It's called repentance. Repentance. When we turn from our sinful ways, we turn from ourselves, and we turn to a holy God. That's repentance. You see, when we humble ourselves in submission before God, and we call out to Him in prayer, and we truly seek His face, you know what God's going to do? He's going to uh, point out the things in our life that really need to be pointed out, that really need to be handled. I used this illustration this past week tonight. I'll use it again here. Uh, one of the things I do during the summer around here at Central Baptist Church and Christian School is uh, sometimes I do some painting. And uh, one of my pet peeves about painting is this. 
no staples and no tape and no glue and goo on the walls. I just, that's just one of my things. So I'll go to the wall before I ever paint it, before I prime it, paint it, whatever I do to it. I always look, and I, I get real close. Now, I can stand in the, in the doorway of the room and just kind of look in the room and go, hmm. Okay, walls look pretty good. But when you get up close to that wall, all of a sudden you see the staples. All of a sudden you see the sticky tack that's on there. All of a sudden you begin to see the tape and the adhesive strips that are on there. And I'm like, man, we got to get those things off because I'm not painting over those. I want to get those things out. If I need to fill holes, we'll fill holes and sand that thing and everything, you know, and make it right. But could I see that if I were standing back in the doorway of that classroom? Absolutely not. It's when you get close that you begin to see all those inconsistencies. It's when you get close and you begin to see all those things that are there that you don't want there. When we humble ourselves before God, when we call out to him in prayer, when we truly seek his face, we draw close to him. And when we draw close to him, we begin to see the issues. We begin to see the inconsistencies. We begin to see the sin. The sin. You know, sometimes we think much more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Sometimes we think we're pretty good and pretty moral people. And from a human standpoint, we are. But the Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Even after we get saved, we sin. And I feel like sometimes we, we kind of go, well, you know, Pastor, we're not like it was back then. We don't have those idols, those graven images today. And, and you know what? Back then, uh, when they were away from the Lord, they were doing some awful things. We don't have sexual immorality like that, like they did back then. And, and pastor, we don't, you know, back then they, they had human sacrifices and even sacrificed their kids in the fire. We don't do that. I mean, you know, and, and pastor back then, and you just go down the list and how, the things that they did. I submit to you that we do happen to do some of those things. No, we may not have a physical idol of Baal up there in the pantry or in the closet or sitting on the fridge or on the counter or anything, but we got other physical idols. Remote control? Oh, boy, that's a tough one for me. <laughs> iPhone? Computer? Food? As you can see, occasionally that's one of my idols, right? Sports? Gaming, activities, you know, all these things. You know, well, Pastor, you know what? Back then they were really greedy. I'm not really greedy. Well, sometimes um, do you ever work extra hours just to make money for something that you want rather than something you need? That's greed. That's greed because you're taking time away from your family maybe. Taking time from other things that are really actually more important. Maybe we don't give to God. Well, that's greed because you're robbing God. You steal. You know, maybe you don't give, uh, maybe you don't tithe, maybe you don't give to God. Well, Pastor, you know, we, you know back then they sacrificed children to Molech and to Baal, and, and uh, we really don't do that today, but yet we sacrifice our relationships over petty arguments. And I submit to you, we do sacrifice our children today in the arena of abortion. It's wrong. But yet, Sometimes we don't think about some of these things. Sometimes we may sacrifice our children when it comes to the church and to ministry on the altar of other activities. And then we wonder, whenever they graduate high school, why they leave the church, they don't go on serving the Lord, and we wonder, you know, what happened. 
I submit to you that sometimes maybe that is the case. You say, Pastor, we don't murder like they murdered back then, but we'll destroy somebody with our words. We'll kill somebody's spirit with a comment, either face-to-face or on Facebook. Well, Pastor, we don't steal either, you know. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you haven't stolen anything. But we rob God of time that he's afforded us. We rob God of tithes and offerings. We steal glory that should go to God, but instead we direct it towards ourselves. We, we do. We're not quite as morally pure as we think we are. God is saying here in this passage that we need to take a good look uh, at being palpably, palpably accountable specifically look at details of our lives after we've spent time with God in humility and prayer and seeking his face and repenting of our sins. The call to personal responsibility, the call to uh, palpable accountability, and thirdly, there's finally the call to provisional remedy. The call to provisional remedy. Provisional meaning that it's conditional. Look at the latter part of the verse. It says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God said, if you do these other things, this is the condition. In fact, if you look, the first word of the verse is if, and then later in the verse it says then. If you do this, then I will do that. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's provisional. It's conditional. There's a call to provisional remedy here. God says, I've got the remedy for you. If you will do this, I'll do that. I'll come in and I'll heal your land and I'll forgive your sins. I will do something. You draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you do this, I will do that. And this is how God works. Listen, God's not going to twist our arm. He gives us a free will. But nonetheless, he still also sends things in our lives to get our attention to say, hey, I'm the one who truly loves you. I'm the one who gave my life for you. I'm the one who loves you more than you could ever love yourself. There's not enough love in the world that matches the love that I have for you. But if you'll follow me, if you'll call out to me, if you'll humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then, then I'm going to hear from heaven. You ever think about that? God will hear your voice from heaven. God, the creator of the universe, will hear and recognize my voice and listen to me and to you. You ever think about that? Wow. What an incredible, incredible opportunity we have. He'll hear from heaven, and he'll do what? He'll forgive. He'll forgive. He'll wash us. He'll cleanse us. One of my prayers daily, God, wash me with the blood of Jesus. Lord, from the top of my head to the tips of my toes and the tips of my fingers, God, wash me, cleanse me, through the blood of Christ that is able to wash away my sins. Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The only way your sins can be forgiven is through the blood that was shed by the Holy Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God forgives. He gives us us a clean slate. He gives us a restoration and renewal, a new beginning, a do-over, if you will, a reboot. If we'll only call out to him and confess and repent of our sins. And it says that he heals. He heals. He may end up healing a relationship. 
If nothing else, he's healing his relationship with you, and you're healing your relationship with him. If nothing else, he may bring, bring healing to a relationship with you and maybe your spouse or maybe a friend or maybe a child. I, I don't know. It might be uh, that kind of healing. It may be an actual physical healing. We don't know. It might be a spiritual healing in that you receive Christ as Savior. Or maybe you get back on the right track with God and back to serving him the way we ought to be. Either way, God says, you know what? I've got the remedy for you. Look at in this chapter here. Look at verse number 15. When God says, if you'll do this, if you'll humble yourselves, pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open. God says, I'm going to open my eyes this whole thing now. And my, my uh, ears attentive. God's going to listen to the prayer made in this place, speaking of the sanctuary, the, the temple that they just built. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Listen, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, just like the presence of God was in the temple then, so the Holy Spirit of God lives within you today. This today is God's temple. He places his name there, and it stays there forever. But keep reading. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne in your, of your kingdom. In other words, for them, if you'll follow me, you'll always have the throne established. And unfortunately, later after this, the kingdom split, and it was, it was a big mess. But from a New Testament, a, an age of grace perspective, if we as believers will call out to him and we walk in the, in, the, in the ways of the Lord, God sets up his kingdom right here and he's always on the throne of our life. And we bring glory to him. There's a call to a conditional, a provisional remedy. You know, although God's speaking to Solomon here about the temple and about God's people, so we too are God's people. And as Solomon had the temple that housed the presence of God, we as believers house the presence of God. The Spirit of God dwells within us. He's taken up residence. How will we respond to God's remedy? Will we take God seriously? Will we honestly take personal responsibility for our own spiritual walk and the spiritual uh, uh, vitality of our own local churches? Will we answer to the call of being real, of being palpable, being specific through our accountability, accountability to God, accountability to others? Will we humble ourselves? Will we cry out to God? Will we seek His face with all of our hearts and call sin, sin, and then repent of it and turn back to the Lord? If my people, you know, God would send an incredible revival in America if God's people would simply follow that verse, including myself. Church, I believe we need revival in America. We are in a bad, bad way. And I believe this whole pandemic thing, I believe it's appointed by God. I do. It, nothing happens by accident. And I believe God's trying to get our attention to bring ourselves back to him. Let me read you a story as we close out this morning. There was a young ministerial student 
by the name of Evan Roberts. And he just felt the, the presence of God just really moving him to uh, go to this revival. And he began attending these revival meetings. And he was deeply moved by the Spirit of God. And he went to the altar and he just cried out to God. And it, it, part of his cry was, Bend me, O Lord. In other words, bend me towards you. This was his way of completely and giving total surrender to God and in God's will. He soon returned to his church and wanted to preach, but his pastor was kind of reluctant. You know, I'm not sure. I'll tell you what, let me preach, and then if anyone wants to stay afterwards, I'll let you preach to them afterwards. Well, pastor made the announcement, and 17 people stayed after to hear him preach. He preached for almost two hours, and he had a simple four-point message. They were, these were the points. Confess all known sin to God, deal with and get rid of any doubtful area in your life, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly, and confess Christ publicly. Two hours he spoke on those four things. All 17 young people went to the altar and cried out to God at the end of that message. In fact, it wasn't just a two-minute, five-minute invitation. They prayed till two in the morning, asking God to start something, to begin something, one of the greatest movements in Wales. They prayed and prayed and prayed. By the end of the week, over 60 people were won to Christ. And over the next year and a half, in the nation of Wales, over one million people came to faith and knowledge in Christ. The great Welsh revivals. Boy, wouldn't it be incredible to see something like that happen in America? That would be something else. But you know, it's not going to happen until the church, not the unbelievers, not the government, not the companies and organizations, not all those people, the church, not until we understand that if we call on God, if my people who are called by my name, if we will humble ourselves and pray, seek the very face of God and turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. And I think you would agree with me, I, our, our land needs some serious healing. Believers, my prayer and my hope is that revival comes to America. We desperately need it. And I need it in my own life too. And I know many of you probably feel the same way. We need to call upon the Lord. Maybe you're watching us here this morning and, and you're kind of going, well, I'm not sure about all this, you know, and I'm not sure about, well, let me ask you this. If you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If you stood before God today and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? There's only one answer. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only the blood of Jesus that gets us into heaven. By you receiving Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We put our faith in Christ, we turn from our sin, and we turn to God, repentance. And we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. 
He's the sacrifice for our sins. And he's the one who rose from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says that if you'll believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Would you be saved today? Would you call upon the Lord as your Savior? Right now, you could bow your head and just call upon him right now, just like they were calling upon him here in Second Chronicles. Could you call upon the Lord right now and just pray to him and say something along these lines? And you're, you're talking to him. You're not talking to me. You're not just repeating words, but rather you're from the heart calling out. You're crying out to God and saying, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you sent your son to die for me and to die and pay my sin debt. I can't get to heaven on my own, but I trust in your son to get me there. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead the third day. And God, as best as I know how, right now in the quietness of this moment, I receive you into my life. Please come into my life. Forgive me. Save me. I want a relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, first of all, happy for you. Welcome to God's family. (laughs) It's the greatest decision you'll ever make, I'm telling you. But we want to know about it. We want to know about your decision. You could look on our Facebook page, just write a note in the comment section of our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you and celebrate with you and get back in touch with you so we could pray for you. So let us know. Believers, if you made a decision, maybe, maybe we're just, life has just got you all turned every which way and life is just upside down, if we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God and turn from our wicked ways, God's going to do some incredible things our lives individually collectively as a church and as a nation god bless you thank you for joining us today until next time thank you